The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Unlock the power of your dreams. Welcome to Ask Dr. Dream with Kelly Sullivan Walden. Welcome to the Ask Dr. Dream show here on Unity Online Radio. I'm your host, Kelly Sullivan Walden, aka Dr. Dream. So excited to be with you. And if you have a dream or a dream question, or more specifically, a question about how to turn something tragic into magic. I think that's going to be the theme of the show today, turning tragic into magic. I am sitting here live in New York City. Forgive the sound quality. I don't have my microphone today. So I think it'll be worth listening to anyway, even if this isn't like super high def, like Dolby surround sound, because I'm sitting with Aspen Mattis and Daniel, which last name do we use? Jordan, Daniel Jordan. He's a man of many names, <laughs> Daniel Jordan. And Dana Walden's here too, but he is the man who speaks through the silence. Yeah. Um, but I'm in Aspen's apartment in New York City. In what part of New York City would you say this is? Greenwich Village. Greenwich Village. Oh, hello. And some the, the paparazzi are already calling. It's amazing. Okay. So as I usually do before we start the show, I do a little teeny prayer. So just to, cause I'm completely spastic more than normal. Cause I'm so excited <laughs> to be here in person with you guys. I'm in the ballerina's nest and you'll find out more about the ballerina's nest next when nest, when you buy Aspen's latest book called your blue is not my blue. And it's got blue walls in here, which and is you my just favorite. Met the ballerina. I met Karina Ballerina. <laughs> I know. So just know these are we're planting seeds for six months, a year from now. When's your book coming out? June 2020. June 2020. Okay, we can wait. We can do it. All right. So let me just invite everyone to stop if you can, turn within and take a big deep breath. Don't close your eyes if you're driving or operating heavy machinery, whatever that means to you. So just take a big deep breath with me and let's let everything go as much as we possibly can. Let's let go of any stress or any sweat. (laughs) I'm totally sweating right now. I'm letting go of my attachment to the fact that I'm sweating and that it shouldn't be that way. Of course it should be because I am. So let's just let go of any, any shoulds, any, anything that you don't want to hold on to. Drop it all ah, with this next big exhale. And we're making room with every breath for the infinite, for the unconditional love that governs the universe. So with every new breath, let's just breathe in our connection to the all that is. Let's pop through the glass ceiling, pop through the ceiling of our minds and step into infinite quantum space, step into the realm of dreams where literally anything and everything is possible. Let's just let ourselves fly and float and connect with our greatest dreams for being alive, 
and a great and deep, profound appreciation for the dreams that we have by night that are always connecting us in some way, shape, or form to the larger aspect of who we truly are, why we came here, how we can be a better version of ourselves, and have better relationships, and have and turn our tears into triumph, and turn our tragic into magic, multiplied. So with this big, deep next breath, breathing one more gulp in of the unconditional love that's here for us, filling up our senses, our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our souls, and ah, just floating in this wonderful space. We just allow the this radio show today to take place inside of this dream realm. And in gratitude for this moment, in gratitude for all that Unity Online Radio provides, and and Louie and Jeff behind the scenes, and Diane Ray, and Nancy T, my my amazing co-host, and Dana G. Walden, who's always here, even if he's being silent, Bob, he's just amazing, and Aspen Mattis, and Daniel Jordan, and all the magical beings that have floated in and out of the ballerina's nest. I'm so grateful to be here with you all, right? now. And so it is. Amen. A woman. Ah, dreams. Ah, are we still here? Everyone's still with us? Okay. Oh, and I should, I should put out, um, if anybody wants to call in today with a dream, with a question, again, the number is 816-251-3555. And I'm Grateful that I remember that number by heart. I'm very proud of myself. Can you tell? I'm sitting up a little taller and straighter. That was a long number and I have it all memorized. Nancy T, do you want to read us the Hero's Journey Dream Oracle card of the day that you randomly selected? Thank you. It is card number 11. I always tell the card number in case that means something to someone. And this is stage two, the call to adventure. And it is breadcrumbs of bliss. Heed your pleasure principle. The quote by Joseph Campbell is as follows. Follow your bliss and doors will open for you that you never knew existed. Follow your bliss and the universe will open doors for you where there were only walls. And the message is, it's no accident that you're on the planet at this time in this place with these people. It's no accident you've been endowed with unique gifts. Your gifts and talents are within you for a purpose. It's not your job to know how your life is meant to unfold. It's only your job to be attuned to the bliss that moves you, guides you, and underlies your every interaction moment by moment. When you honor your dreams, your inner guidance, and the promptings of your soul, you are rewarded every step of the way with a resurgence of soul juice, a.k.a. bliss. This is not a temporary high that leaves you crashed and burned out. The breadcrumbs of bliss will lead you to the best place to be in divine right order. And the dream symbol is blissful dreams. Woo, and we love those. Regardless of whether they are about winning the lottery, an extraordinary sexual connection, or a sacred communion with God, blissful dreams reinforce that you're on track with your divine calling and purpose for being alive. You are inherently wired for pleasure. When you are where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing, the bliss button will be turned on. Woo! So your mantra is, I follow <laughs> I follow breadcrumbs of bliss that lead me step by step toward a most fulfilling life. 
Ooh, I love that card. Woo! Nancy, <laughs> thank you. Well oh, read. Beautifully Isn't she read. good? Oh my God. Isn't she good? I just want her to narrate my life. Meanwhile, while you were reading that, two Joseph Campbell books um, jumped off the with shelf. A thousand faces and mythic imagination that I haven't seen in ages. I just noticed them. Oh, see that oh, synchronicity right see? there. Kind of like pull a random, like a random, random sentence. Yeah, like okay, let's open it. You read okay. it, Kelly. So oh I just gosh, it yeah. To, okay. Um, maybe here. Okay. All right. Um. Oh wow, it's a name that I. Okay, it's some kind of Buddhism. Hananya Hananyana Buddha Buddhism, the Buddhism surviving in Kailan, Burma, and Siam. Siam, revert. Rev, God, I, hello. Reveres the Buddha as a human hero a supreme saint and sage. Mayana Buddhism, on the other hand, the Buddhism of the North, regards the enlightened one as a world savior, an incarnation of a universal principle of enlightenment. I love that. So, okay, so that's going to be, that's laying down part of the tapestry of today. This is going to be like a tiramisu today. We've got layers and layers. One of the things that we're going to talk about is Marianne Williamson, because I recently got to interview her and the, and the interview is up on my social media. It will be um, later this afternoon if you're on my email list. If you're not already on my email list, go to kellysullivanwalden.com and sign up so that you can start getting these Marianne Williamson interviews. Um, and we, I interview her about her latest book, which is A Politics of Love. Um, so, but we're not going to be able to have her on the show, but I wanted to just mention her because it's so amazing what's happening to her. And one of the books that Aspen was given, okay, so tell them the story about how Tears to Triumph came to you. Well, so when the paperback version of, of my first book, Girl in the Woods, was about to come out, um, my, the same acquiring editor, Lisa Sharkey, acquired Marion Williamson's book, Tears to Triumph. And she mailed this to me and she said, you absolutely must read this. And so this is the copy that my editor, so we have the same publisher and the same acquiring editor. That is so cool. And um, here it is. Awesome. <laughs> so, so for those of you who haven't listened to the interview that I did previously of Aspen, we talked about her book, Girl in the Woods, and now she's got a new book coming out called Your Blue is Not My Blue. It's so fun to say that. I want to sing it. And Daniel Jordan, her boyfriend and world traveling partner in Shine, has been a huge part of helping her. So I want to get, I want to hear from Daniel once we get into kind of the, the writing process, because basically one of the things that Marianne Williamson does, so I'm, I'm blending here. Tears to Triumph is basically how to turn something tragic into magic and not just medicate yourself into oblivion, which is we have, n there's nothing wrong with medication. It's all God. It's all good. However, I think one of the messages of this book is your feelings are important. And if you trust where they're taking you, you will be led on your hero's journey. You'll be led to gold. Mm -hmm. And you did this, Aspen. You had something tragic happen to you. Um, that you talk about in detail in your first book, Girl in the Woods. Um, and then you turn that into magic by shining so much light and applying so much creativity. So first, I'd love it if you would read this quote that I love so much from, first from Tears to Triumph, and then we'll read something from Girl in the Woods. Okay. So this is Marianne Williamson, a little piece out of Tears to Triumph. And this is actually not by Marianne right. Williamson, but this is the epigraph of her whole book. Um, and it's Rilke, the poet. 
Someday, emerging at last from the violent insight, let me sing out jubilation and praise to ascending, angel, to ascending angels. Let not even one of the clearly struck hammers of my heart fail to sound because of a slack, a doubtful, or a broken string. Let my joyfully streaming face make me more radiant. Let my hidden, hidden weeping arise and blossom. How dear you will be to me then, your nights of anguish. Why didn't I kneel more deeply to accept you, inconsolable sisters, and, surrendering, lose myself in your loosened hair? How we squander our hours of pain. How we gaze beyond them into the bitter duration to see if they have an end. Though they are really our winter-enduring foliage, our dark evergreen, one season in our inner year, not only a season in time, but are a place and settlement, foundation and soil and home. Rilke, the 10th eulogy. Oh, okay. So what does that, what does that piece say to you? I want to hear from you too, Nancy, and Daniel as well. Did you get a chance to hear that? Okay. So what does that say to you? So to me, like, this is really like the thesis, like, of, of Susan Shapiro's teachings who you're studying with now yes. as well, which is... Shout out to Susan Shapiro, yeah. susanshapiro.net. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so really, her whole methodology is that by facing your your pain and your shadows and your darkness and, and casting it into the light, you can turn the worst thing that ever happened to you into the most beautiful. And it's kind of like Cheryl Strait's philosophy as well. Like what happens to you belongs to you, feed it to yourself, let it nourish you. And it's really like these things that we think are like our secret shames and the worst thing. And if anyone ever knew, then they wouldn't really like us or they would hate us or they would think that we were bad. Really everyone has those things. And when you're brave enough to expose them, they are the thing that makes us relatable and they're they're the universal like the shadow is universal to the human experience and when you're brave enough to expose it and you cast it into the light it has much less power over you and it, it its grip on you kind of fades mm. and so it's about taking the worst thing in your life and turning into the most beautiful and i think here she's really talking about how we waste that pain we waste so it. often we, we medicate it away. We wish it to be over. We wish for its end yeah. rather than living in it and really probing in it and discovering the gold in the, in the painful cracks. Right. You're not talking about wallowing in it and getting into deeper, deeper depression. No, like mining it, mining it because there's gold in them, their hills. Yeah. Um, this makes me think really quick before I get you guys um, to, to weigh in. We saw Hamilton last night. We're in New York City. And, um, okay, this won't be a spoiler because everybody knows the story of Hamilton. So I'm going to just tell you one of the things that happens in the play. Okay? Okay. He does all these great things for the United States, obviously. But he one scene is where he has an affair. And he gets blackmailed. And it becomes this big thing. And he decides to write about it and expose himself before, so that he can be free. And it basically is the undoing of his career. And it's, it's his shame. And, but he owns it. Instead of somebody else coming out with it, he writes in detail about everything that happened. He takes full responsibility. But, oh, I'm covered in chills. 
the most, I think the most powerful song in the whole play is the unimaginable. And this yeah. comes after, so his son dies and he's just in grief. It's like this man who was so driven and did so much good work. He exposes his underbelly and he does get whacked. It's like he does lose status because he was on this privileged soapbox where you're not supposed to ever make a mistake. And there was no acceptance of it. There was no beautiful alchemy in real time. But I think in time, over time, I think there's an amazing amount of respect that he did this, that he wrote this paper, that he exposed himself. He wasn't a hypocrite in the end. And the best song of the whole play comes out from kind of his darkness, as opposed to I'm going to take on the world and I'm going to change everything, Ooh, which is great. But his pain is like the most touching part of the whole musical in my experience. So anyway, <laughs> it's kind of doing saying a little bit of the opposite. There's a price that you pay for exposing your pain, maybe to the wrong. Right, right. Like people will, you know, judge if they have shadows that they haven't exposed that are, you know, similar to yours that make them feel defensive and protective. Right. But I if think... you've built a whole life on top of this other image and then suddenly you expose this other thing, then it might be a little bit more awkward. But it doesn't mean that it's not worth right. doing. And in politics, it's so radical to yeah, be authentic. Exactly. Well, that's one of the things Marianne Williamson said is most people that are in politics they get in trouble if they tell the truth. They can't tell the truth. They'll lose their career. She said for herself, she'd get in trouble if she didn't tell the truth because she has made a career out of telling the truth and she wants a career after this. So she can't not tell the truth. So I think that's really cool. What did you think about this piece and about what I just said about Hamilton, Daniel, Jordan? Uh, well, um, I was just talking to this. You don't have to put it in your ear. Okay. Yeah, um, I mean, this part, why didn't I kneel more deeply to accept Ooh. you? makes me makes me kind of think about how we kind of regret how we didn't embrace or you know live in the pain and we might have numbed it or escaped it and that it's kind of never too late to start kneeling deeply into Ooh. it i was kind of imagining like our like literally our legs being straight because we can't you know just kind of straight up and then when we're ready to kneel it's never too late to finally accept and 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 live in the pain and break through that emotional numbness or that just block you've had on on something that's been so hard. I like that. That's a very powerful image of like our mm -hmm. legs being stuck straight, like we're actually paralyzed. Mm. Oh, I love Standing that. Standing still. But I love what you said about it's not too late. So if we glossed over it at one point and put it in a closet with a nice little bow on top and stuck it on a shelf, we can take it down and unpack it. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely escaped and numbed hard moments and I'm, and it's just maybe a year has passed because I wasn't ready to, to kneel to accept it or, you know, to finally have that insight. But mm. I'm, it's, I can also just, um, why, ask why didn't I but I think that's the one part of this this passage that stood out to me was there's, you know we can in that in a moment think why didn't I do something and then that mm. alchemize it into doing it you know we don't mm. need to dwell into why didn't I do this a year ago or five years ago or 20 years ago mm. it's just it's, you could do it now and I love like the function of dreams is often if we're if we didn't get to do it in real time ourselves then we can our dreams will come and tap on our shoulder when it's time. 
It's like, what is this thing that's chasing me? What is this monster that, that wants to come into my house? Or what is that, that thing? So Yeah, and the, there's even a line about that here in the epigraph. How dear you will be to me then, yeah. you knights of anguish. Mm. Like they're, they're an access to something that you wouldn't otherwise get to access. Right. Oh. Especially if you're an artist of right. any kind. And this is kind of like in the hero's journey, this is one thing I love about it is that it's like in the ordinary world, it's normal to run away from those things, to say, I'm not that, I, I'm fine, I'm perfect. Or even today, Dana and I were walking down the street in New York City, there's so many cool things, and we're walking, there's all these garbage bags out. I'm like, ew, I wanna walk on the other side of the street. I'm like, no, just walk by the garbage. Like, it's part of it, it's mm -hmm. as opposed to like, ew. But in the, in the special world, you move toward the things that make you say, ew, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and that's not me. You, mm -hmm say ooh with curiosity yeah like ooh as opposed to ew yeah same letters different inflection Nancy T what about you how are you responding to this Marianne Williamson it's not it's a Rilke quote from Marianne Williamson's book Tears to Triumph well it I don't think it's any coincidence that it reminds me of the bit of controversy around Marianne when it comes to medication and how in the past yes. she has said, you know, maybe we don't all need this. And her point was not, let's take everybody off of any kind of depression right. medication. That wasn't her point. Her point was that we are numbing ourselves to the point of not feeling. And it is important to have those feelings, to let that wave come through and, and, and come out the other side. And we don't give ourselves... so. So we walk around numb, and I was literally just having this conversation with another friend who recently got off a depression medication, is now on a supplement, and she said she she feels more awake, more alive, and wow. and less numbed to the world. And um, so, I, you know, I think the same part that touched everyone, where it's it's all about that, you know, kneeling into it. How hard is that? But isn't it something that it it kind of made all of us look at that spot because we all have mm. that. We all have yeah. pain. We all have stuff to work through. And mm. uh, so it was, it was pretty amazing. But I, I can't wait to hear all about your discussion with her as well. I think that's right. Well, exciting. one of the things, oh, I know, I know. Well, one of the things I love about um, Aspen and that I've learned so much over the last year and a half or so-ish. I think two years. Maybe yeah. two years yeah. is mm -hmm. how, when I read your book, Girl in the Woods, it was, I mean, there's a lot of people that have had some bad stuff happen to them, but um, in the way that you write about it, you inspired me to want to write about my stuff and my pain and see it in a different way because I could see the alchemy as I was reading the beautiful words. I mean, you've got such, you are like ridiculously talented. Like it's almost like you don't even belong on this planet, but I'm grateful you're on this planet. But Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but in, in writing about it, I think this is, at least this is my jam at this moment. If you can turn your broken heart into art, then you're not just healing and becoming the person you were before you got hurt. You're becoming a bionic version of yourself. You become a better mm -hmm. version of yourself on the other side of that. Because you had, I mean, so tell us a little bit about, give us the stair step towards like what happened to you in Girl in the Woods. And then I don't know how you're going to bring us all the way up to speed, but I just, Jesus, try. Okay, yeah. So, well, Girl in the Woods was about um, how, well, 
in a nutshell. On the second day of my freshman year of college, before classes had begun, before I'd removed my colorful construction paper name tag from my dorm room door, um, I was raped by another freshman in my dorm room and I dropped out and I left and I decided I was going to try to physically, literally reclaim my body and prove to myself that I was safe in the world and the body that I had to continue living in by walking from Mexico to Canada through California and Oregon and Washington State following a wilderness footpath called the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, and I did. I dropped out and I left and I walked 2,650 miles from Mexico to Canada. A marathon the, a day for how many months? For five and a half months. A marathon a day for five and a half months. Sorry, keep going. Just need to just pause that. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's the nutshell, I guess. Oh, and now, so... Um, okay, so then that leads you to... Yeah. Tell so, us, and so anyway, you have to read this book if you haven't already read Girl in the Woods. It is exquisite. It is so riveting and powerful. And for anybody who, I mean, everybody would love this book, but I'd say um, anybody who's been through something difficult and you feel like uh, you just have this cross to bear and it's going to make your life shrink, I would recommend reading this book because this tragedy that Aspen went through, because she worked her way through and and physically and then later writing the book about it, it's like she's this, excuse my French, a badass. <laughs> serious role model of recovery and recovering one's soul and reclaiming oneself almost like not like you would ever wish would happen to you on anybody and not that you'd ever want to go through it again but your life is like you've got a really amazing life that might not be so amazing were it not for this horrible thing that you had to live through thank you so no i think if this hadn't happened i probably would have stayed in school and graduated and become like an english professor or something boring like that for no me. Well, no, no, no. I, I think I loved my English professors, but it's not what I wanted. So, yeah, so keep going. Oh yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. Well, when, and when we come back from the break, because we're going to take a break in just a minute, I'm asking Aspen's going to ask in. I'm going to be asking Aspen <laughs> about um, her new book, um, "Your Blue Is Not My Blue," and then also talking to Daniel Jordan about the creative process with her being kind of in someone else's pain and in their process and having this objective view about how to alchemize the tragic and how to turn it into magic. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. It's just going to get better and more juicy here on Ask Dr. Dream on Unity Online Radio. We'll be right Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Dream interpretation and a lot more. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Dream with Kelly Sullivan Walden. Okay. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Dream here on Unity Online Radio. I'm your host, Kelly Sullivan Walden, a.k.a. Dr. Dream. And <laughs> in case you wanted to know, and um, I'm sitting here in the ballerina's nest in New York City in Greenwich Village with Aspen Mattis, author, best-selling author extraordinaire of Girl in the Woods and soon to be the best-selling author of Your Blue is Not My Blue. And I'm with Daniel, her amazing boyfriend and partner in shine and 
writing partner who's a genius in his own right. And as Aspen's looking up this excerpt, as we dedicate this kind of the show, I think is dedicated to turning tragic into the tragic into magic. Um, Daniel, you've had a perspective that's unique um, working with Aspen creatively um, while she's been kind of working through the tragedy that happened after Girl in the Woods. There's mm. like a whole other thing that you've been you've been in the soup with her. What's your perspective of turning tragic into magic using the creative process? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think that living in the stories, living in the hardest stories that we've experienced, it's painful. And it it's not that, you know, you do it for an hour or a day or a week, and it's all better. But it, the, you know, it, the drive and the what it what it can do and what you like it was our instinct that there was a story mm-hmm. here what what she experienced and i you know it it was so hard to ask her to write about some of these painful things but it mm-hmm. it always felt like it was almost a form of therapy to mm-hmm. to the process the best kind of therapy yeah to process you know and for me it was it was, you know, it was hard to, hard to read about, hard to, hard to sift through some of these stories. Right, because much of this book is about, so Aspen gets married at the end of Girl in the Woods. Sorry to be a spoiler alert here. Um, and then, and, and then he leaves, like they have, they, they come to New York City and then he, d- he takes off. So a lot of this book is her processing her pain over another man but you're the man in her life yeah how was that for you that was it's it's funny because i've whenever we've told like our family or my family about what this is about they they asked me that must be so difficult that and it actually wasn't maybe a, a few lines here a few lines there were difficult but this was less about their love story and more about their kind of what went wrong and so it, there was actually a lot of clues in getting to know Ooh kind of who Aspen is and who she was. So I actually kind of learned so much about how to be the best partner to her (gasps) through seeing how her, you know, what happened in her, in her marriage and what, and it was so, it was, you know, so much about things that are, I think are relatable to everyone, you know, communication and immaturity and being vulnerable. And so this, it was the experience. I, it was kind of surreal to be, you know, and, and even encouraging, like, that's, that's a cute moment between you two. Like, let's, let's put that in because it was Some a of the sweet. Yeah. Stuff. And now like, I, I, it became kind of second nature to encourage that. As because, opposed to you just saying, yeah, write, write right. more about what a jerk he right. was. Yeah. It, right. w- it was strange to be, to be advocating for all, some good moments and some really, cause I, I think that's so important to see the full picture. To have that contrast. So it was, it was like nothing I've ever experienced, but I really. What a unique privilege. It was absolutely a privilege. I mean, most people, when they get in a new relationship, you hear about your exes, but they're kind of reduced to a footnote. Like, oh yeah, he had a gambling problem. Oh yeah, he cheated on me. Oh yeah. Like you hear about how the relationship ended and it's kind of a sentence maybe too, but you get the whole book and I initiated it I, I, I knew there was a, a story there and I I encouraged her you know she had written this book with writing a proposal and she her, her girl in the woods and 
I know she'd been trying trying to write the second book for years. And once we soon after we got together, we we talked about all the projects she had kind of on the in the back burner, and it just sounded it was like this is the one, you know, it was this like that one. Yeah. So I I encouraged, and then and then it, oh it was it was quite a endeavor to live in some of the hardest moments and really to to tell the whole story, you know, not just like those hard moments, but what happened in the months after yeah. he, he disappeared and, what? you know, and what, what really happened. And it was, mm. it was trying to be, and, and asking questions that was, I, by asking questions that I was curious about, it really served the book. Cause it was just, I'd find out like, Oh, I didn't know that. Like, like that wait, happened. something's not adding up here. There's a big gap. Let me just ask blank, blank, blank. And then I would answer it and he'd be like, Oh, that, that belongs in the book. Oh my god! Wow, this what a precious gift! Feel like it should just be therapy that is mandated by God. That everybody <laughs> write a book about their most painful thing, and they write it with their significant other, like as a way to get to know each other. I mean, not everybody. I mean, I just have to give you props, Daniel, because it's because I and in getting to know Aspen and knowing that the the backstory that you write about in your blue is not my blue about writing girl in the woods was really friggin' difficult to, to like wrangle that book together. That was not easy. And not that it was easy to write your blue is not my blue, but having Daniel by your side, this blessed angel partner, like he helped to it make it much more fun experience. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So alone and solitary and yeah, it was like a collaborative, really a true, it was a collaboration. He was like, the father of this book. Oh, <laughs> Daniel. That's so oh awesome. Gosh. Oh my God. Okay. So Aspen, you found, you're going to read us an excerpt from your blue is not my blue. Those of you who want to know it's coming out June, 2020. So can they save it on Amazon? Just write it down, save it somewhere. Yeah. You can't get it yet, but you can, can get girl in the woods. It. Yeah. You'll be able to pre-order it probably in a couple months. Okay. But so this excerpt, it's a little bit, um, like metaphorical and I'm not sure how well it will translate to like a general audience without any context, but it's one of my favorite passages of the book because um, for anyone who knows about the anatomy of a flower, the pistil is like the powdery fertile bit, you know, and it's very vulnerable. It's mm. like, you know, but it's also the reproductive organ. It's fertile mm. and it's, it's the, it's like kind of like feminine, you know, oh, and so, it's spelled P-I-S-T-I-L, pistol. So um, this is a, just a small excerpt. I saw how vulnerability, the heart's pistol, so often shunned as powdery and weak, frightening and uncomfortable to touch, is the source of regeneration, the productive part of the flower of the soul. The pistol, central and hidden, contains potential kernels of new life's creation, a fragile stalk arising from the swollen bulb of seeds to a pollen-receptive tip, the stigma variously shaped as the human spirit itself. An experience of discomfort by design, the act of vulnerability is an access, a portal to more profound connection. And bold honesty, this terrifying method of self-exposure, is also the medium for enriched and strengthened bonds. Recognizing this counterintuitive nature of vulnerability, speaking the hardest truths as a gateway, my core was unearthed and I felt exposed. 
I'll stop there. Don't ever stop. <laughs> oh my God. I am floored. I'm okay. Nancy, did you, did you get to hear about the heart's pistol? Did you hear that? Nancy T, did I lose you? You off in La La Land? No, I'm here. I am here. I'm here. Sorry. I just, I just Are couldn't click my, How is I'm that? here. Can Oh, wow. <laughs> I just love the way you write because it's all, it's writing and it's poetry and it's all at once and the good kind, as Kelly knows. I'm not, oh, I'm Nancy not... doesn't like poetry. So she says <laughs> so the good kind, meaning the kind she likes. Like most yeah. poetry, she's <laughs> like, just the good kind. not into it. And, it, and it's just, good for kind. me, I'm very much a, draw me a picture and that'll help explain the story and this this uh, parallel of the pistol. Oh my gosh. It, I just, I'm very moved by your writing, everything you write. So I can't wait to read your book. I cannot wait. And here's the thing with Aspen's book, like this excerpt is, doesn't even stand out among the other excerpts. Like, I oh, mean, I'm this sure. is like, you, you gotta is, keep people wanting like, more, right? Aspen? You, you pick a random page and a random sentence in this book and it's that rich. There's not a sentence yeah. that's not that rich in the whole darn thing. Wow. Thank you. No wasted uh, words. No wasted words. No if we could only wasted. do that when we talk. <laughs> Myself. Oh, <laughs> that's so true. If people spoke like with in the intention to create. That intent. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Wouldn't that be something? So There'd be a lot more silence. There'd be a lot more right. silence. That's so true. Oh, you have to think man. about it. Yeah. Maybe Dana has something going for him with his silence. He's, you know, he calls oh, himself sure. Archo. That's his alter ego. That's his silent alter ego. But um, <laughs> we, love sitting. we love Ocho. We love Ocho. Okay, so we'll just let's let's move on to your blue is not my blue. Um, yeah. I'm just curious to everyone who's listening. What do you think that means? If you want to. Um, post something, I don't know, on Facebook, on my Kelly Sullivan Walden, Dr. Dream Facebook page or on Instagram, Kelly S. Walden, um, or on Aspen's page, which is Aspen Mattis. What is your? Uh, Aspen Mattis. Aspen Mattis yeah. is your Instagram. Or Daniel. Daniel Jordan? I don't know. Oh, no, Instagram. Okay. And Nancy T., what is yours? Nancy T. My Instagram? Is yes. is uh, I think you can look it up through Nancy T, but if you can also look Nancy Tells World. Nancy Tells World. Okay, so if anybody mm -hmm. wants to weigh in on what do you think your blue is not my blue means, um, but I want any you to possibilities. hear what Aspen says about what it means to her. So <laughs> let's hear. What is your blue? It's not my blue. Where did that come from? Well, it came from it came from a line, actually, um, a line in the book and something that my ex husband. Um, said, which is, there's no way to prove that your blue is my blue, meaning like we don't, no two people see the color blue exactly the same and no two people have the exact same perspective on a situation. We all look from our own viewpoint by human nature, the fact that we all stand somewhere different and have a different set of eyes and a different, you know, ego and a different agenda and, you know, everything. So... Um, it came from that line in the book, but it's also, um, when you read the book, you see it's also your sadness is not my sadness. And also there's, um, there's a lot about kind of the nature of, um, 
of family and like and the nature of vulnerability that relates to the idea that um, perspective is individualistic inherently with the shallow bowls. We're all in our own shallow bowl. Oh, so say that. There's a lot of philosophy. What does that mean? Okay, so you're sh the shallow bowls. So that was also something that Justin, my ex-husband, said, like, you know, every human exists in their own shallow bowl, and they think that the landscape within that bowl is the world and it is the way that it is and no one can see over the rim you know into some and stand in somebody else's bowl so the truth to the person in in bowl number one is different than the truth to the person in bowl number two and that that um discrepancy is the source of so much dissonance both personally and culturally and globally Okay. <laughs> I'm getting so lost in your words that I'm like, what time is it? Where am I? <laughs> this is so amazing. So we live in these shallow bowls. It's so true. Like even politically and um, one of the things that this is, this was interesting. Marianne Williamson was talking about in her book, A Politics of Love, this moment where she's on an airplane and there's turbulence and all this stuff falls off a shelf. Um, like out of a cabinet and there's all this stuff rolling down the aisle and she's sitting like on the, in the middle seat or the seat next to the window. So she looks over and all she can see are all these hands trying to get all this stuff off, handing it to each other, like suddenly hands from both sides of the aisle, all cooperative in a second. in like this one instant of, of mm. not tragedy, it's just something falling apart, everybody cooperating. So it seemed like in a moment, sometimes you get busted out. Like right now, there's the storm in Florida. There's things that take people out of their shallow bowl and suddenly into the larger world. And we can see how cooperative we actually are. And we're much more alike than we are yeah. separate. But when we land back in our bowl, it's like, no, you're on the other side of the aisle. I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to help you. But when something pops us out, then maybe yeah, our blue. When we're all in a collective blue. Yeah. A collective blue. Yeah, because it wasn't, she said that there was no time to think, but it's as if we, if you could slow it down, it would be, these things could hurt everybody, even in the back of the plane, and we don't want that to happen. So everyone was just as gung-ho about doing this, and they were all strangers. All it was was hands, touching hands. Touch. Mm. And I just love that. I feel like if, like if we were out of our bowls for a moment, that's how we would be. Mm. And I think it's important to get out of our bowls every once in a while. It's fine to be in our bowl. But just know that your bowl ain't the whole bowl, ain't the whole. Yeah. And once you know that it's a bowl, then it's an, kind of that knowledge is an access out of it. If you think it's the truth, like with a capital T, then you're stuck. Right. Right. Oh, my God. Okay. So now in real time, you guys just finished turning in your final draft of your blue is not my blue. And so you've gotten a chance to write about the heartache and the pain and ultimately your, your conclusion and there, and it's so, so what does it feel like to be on this stage of the hero's journey? We could say that this is the kind of the coming home with the elixir stage. Well, home, coming home with the elixir will be when your book is in your hands and you're on book tour, but you're like on the road to that you're on the road back. So what does it feel like to have gone through all of this? and be in the place that you're at now with regards to your own healing process? Well, 
I mean, so we decided that after we like submitted this draft, we would go on like this love tour. <laughs> and so we saw my family, my parents, my like niece and nephew, uh, my my friend Karina, you, Karina Dana, Ballerina. Sue, yeah, Sue, Sue Shapiro. Dot net. <laughs> and yeah, it's been, I mean, it's nice. It's a little disorienting, but very satisfying. I love that we're in this blue room, by the way, in the ballerina's nest. In the book, when you read Your Blue is Not My Blue, you're going to hear all about the ballerina's nest and the turquoise walls that we're surrounded by. What were you about to say, Daniel? Oh, just um, just how it, the, the, it was like a year and a half over a year and a half from when the proposal began to just finishing this draft. And I think, you know, we're both excited to just kind of, you know, the, the creative process when a project's beginning it has this new newness and this excitement. Mm -hmm. And then as you edit, it's, it's like a different, we call it writing and or editing, but it's really, you could have a different word for each stage. And we haven't really done a lot of creative work from that, start stage from that you know seedling the stage genesis. The ge and pistoly right yeah mm. so i think i think that's mm. one thing it's it's just an excitement to just be of exploring new projects and just kind of looking at something that's that's so fresh and so open a blank page as opposed to a page with all these marks on it you know mm. it's a it feels different and sit down to do it. And we have new projects like upcoming, like, and my two upcoming projects are both collaborations, one with my dad and one with Daniel, and I'm very excited about both of those. Oh, that's awesome. Daniel, did you write Nancy before T. you met? So you, Nancy is an amazing writer. And so I know I want you, what I, I want you and everybody else who's listening, who is an aspiring creative or is a creative of some kind. Um, let's just dial down to a little bit of nitty gritty. Cause I think in some ways we're talking about like the broad strokes of blue, but let's talk about a little nitty gritty. Cause the, the real hero's journey is the nitty gritty part, like the day to day, writing this stuff in the day-to-day -day practice. So can you give us like a little bit of um, a view into your practice, your, the actual craft and uh, the, the work, the, what does a day in the life of your working on a book look like typically? Well, so a day in the life of me working on a book is very different with this book than it was with Girl in the Woods. Describe the, the contrast so and with, what worked and what didn't. With Girl in the Woods, I was like working every waking moment pretty much like it was not it was like I was like I felt a lot of pressure because I got this book deal on proposal and I'd never written a book before and you know there were deadlines and there was a you know publisher expecting pages and I was very um you know it was all new to me and I I you know always written and I when I was little I wrote and I've written throughout my all the years, but I never had to, you know, produce like pages for like oh, publication that, you know, consistently. And it was a little bit scary and hard and overwhelming. And part of Girl in the Woods was my love story with my ex-husband. And during the process of writing Girl in the Woods, he left. And so I was writing about falling in love with him in his absence, which was very, very, very painful and hard. But I, yes, it was, it was, it was hard, but it was also healing. And there was a lot of staying up late, talking to Karina, figuring out, 
the story behind the story and why I did what I did. And, mm. and Karina would write these things in the, in the body of the book called blue notes, actually. Ah. They were in the color blue and they were questions that helped me probe deeper, like what's behind this? Why did you do this? Like, wow. what was like, like, what did you think was going to happen? Or like, what did you hope would happen? Oh. Or like, what were you afraid of? Or, you know, what, you know, depending on what the scene was. And she would help me get to like the heart of the matter. Whereas like the first draft was just what happened. And a lot of like pretty description of flowers and sunsets, <laughs> and you know, so she helped me to transform it into, um, like a a vulnerable, open glimpse into a nineteen year old who had just been raped and was in the woods alone and <sighs> and falling in love with a man for the first time. Holy lord! And nineteen years old—that is crazy. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but this process has been. But you said that you wrote so many extra pages in that. Yes. Time. Oh, yeah. So even though I was I was writing tons and tons and tons, and sometimes would write like sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night and just type a note into my phone and it would turn into like three thousand words and I'd be up all night, you know, or like you know it would just kind of flow out and I would try all day and I would sit there and be stuck and then inspiration would come in waves at random times and I wasn't sleeping very well. I was sleeping like every other night. Oh. Um, and then you and, were like super, there was a bunch of days where you didn't sleep. Yeah, yeah, I ended up in the hospital because I had five days and five nights in a row where I didn't sleep. Um, I felt so much pressure. Yeah. So it was a lot of like what you would call strive, drive. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, oh. And so this has been really quite opposite. I mean, there have been some stressful moments, you know, relating to deadlines and stuff like that. But overall, it's been like, I've really followed Daniel's lead in terms of like we we have this thing called sessions and a session is forty five minutes we set you know a timer. Okay, this is good. This is people need to hear this. Write this down. This is such a cool system. All so right. yeah, just a, like a little meditation timer on your phone for forty five minutes, and for those forty five minutes you work without you know looking at you know the internet anything. or stopping or anything like that. And even just once. Do you once get up to pee? Oh yeah, I need to... in your forty five minutes, or do you like no no peeing? You can pee, yeah. Okay. And sometimes we stop it. Timer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, this is good because I always have to. <laughs> That's pee, such so. a. Oh, yeah. We all. It's not like torture. I'm about to pee. Oh, my God. It's not the idea isn't to, like, you know, like be right. uncomfortable or anything like that. But, but just, it's just focus and not get. Yeah, and not, not to, like, start looking at Facebook or Instagram. Or writing or, a different book. Or, or yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another thing that, like, Daniel has really transformed for me. Like, it used to be that, like, I would get an idea and then I would start, you know, writing about that. And I still did that sometimes in this book. Like, I was writing about Occupy Wall Street for a few days and nothing to do with the book. But, like, I was really into it. And, right. and, and then he was like, all right, got to rein this in. Right. <laughs> doing sessions. So just for those 45 minutes, you're, like, you're, like, roping yourself in to just write about whatever the set is it like this is I'm going to write about x for 45 minutes yeah usually um so one thing that we would do together Daniel and I is he would help me to come up with the arc like what actually happened because for me like I could write forever about like wandering the Venice canals right. but that's not really relevant to a, a like you know a memoir you know after a certain point, maybe a page or two, but uh, like, I mean, to the narrative, like threads of, of this book, you didn't really need 20 pages about wandering the Venice canals. Right. So, um, 
Oh yeah, here's the microphone. Just this one. Um, so yeah, and so with the sessions, you know, at the start of each day, we might, you know, look at it and say it's going to be an eight session day, you know, or and even well, you could be so efficient when you just do these forty-five minute sessions. And eight sessions is only six hours. It's six hours. So if you do so six like focused hours. Wow, it, you know, it's a lot though. It's like you can just do you hours and hours and hours, hours day, where you looked yeah. at Facebook and you just, you know, you weren't really doing it. I but if, so, you know, at the start of the day, we would often be, you know, try to kind of, and then you, once you knock them off, you know, four done by this, you know, you take a walk and we would do a lot of walking sessions where we'd, you know, take notes for or arc as we walk. Take notes and you're like on the app. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We're just running out of time. Okay, so so you would take do some audio notes about yeah, or, certain things. Yeah, or, or I would like just type, or we would type into the notes, you know, just notes on the phone. There's a little notes section. And do you sometimes, like, I know for me, if I'm doing a 45, because I've tried to do yeah. this, and then 45 minutes passes and I'm not done. So I, I just like another session. You don't have to take a break between sessions. You can just start another one. Like, we often was just, you know, stop, start, boom. And oh, my God. And so it's kind of, yeah. This has been so amazing. And Nancy T, how is this for you? Do you feel inspired to write your book, to write your millions of books? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm so inspired. I want to like just trap um, Aspen in a room with, with Daniel and ask him 5,000 questions. <laughs> yeah. Ask them. Right. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited to be with them. But I know, even feeling. though I'm not hearing the music leading us out, I know that we're about to stop. So I just want to thank you guys so much for being on Ask Dr. Dream. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw. And on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.